So if I were to wake up as a white woman, I feel like the first thing I would do was instantly go rob some shit. Like I would go get the money. Like, where's the money? I would instantly turn into a robber. I would and be you know hitting what? up. <laughs> you get away with it every time. Exactly. Exactly. As long as I don't die during the attempt, I'm good. Cause you I have be a good. getaway. I could just peel my skin off. The cops might help you leave with the money. Like, oh, I'm sorry, ma'am. You dropped some as you're running out with bags. <laughs> like here, you dropped this. We're just here to catch a couple of robbers. <laughs> Good times we will never have. So before we get into this breakdown of Lovecraft, which we are so excited to do because we are big fans of this series, we just want to say thank you for coming back, you guys. Thank you for giving us an amazing season one. We ended off the season in December with over 2,000 downloads, and you guys gave that to us in three months. So I think that's a big-ass accomplishment. Woo! So if you don't know, you can listen to us on Apple, Spotify, Anchor. We also are on Google Play now. Um, we should be on iHeartRadio. We're we're like extending the reach for you guys. Like we're trying to get, on, out, get on out there. Yes. So please share the podcast with somebody you know, subscribe and write a review. That would really help us out. So as you know, we start off every episode with our Black Unicorn and we couldn't do anyone else besides the amazing Misha Green for this episode. Trish, why don't you do the honors? Jordan Peele has described her as a genius and having watched Lovecraft, I would agree with him. She is the writer, creator, and executive producer of Lovecraft. Man, this is a good fucking show. We're gonna talk about her for a little bit, but we're gonna get right back into the show. So Misha actually went to NYU, is it Tish? Tish School of Arts? Yeah. Yes, she went to Tish School of the Arts and she studied film and television. But the most surprising thing about that fact was how much it cost to study there. She paid $140,000 for that degree. Girl, I looked at that program once because I thought I was going to apply. And one, they have a dual program that you could do internationally alongside the Tish uh, program. How much is that? (laughs) I was looking at the master's program. So this is only four years if she did undergrad, Mm -hmm. um, which is insane. But I I feel like probably the master's would have been probably at least 80,000. It is NYU. I mean, if y'all are thinking about going to NYU, good good luck, man. Um, (laughs) So she has been writing a pretty long time. She has credited playing with dollhouses. It's like her spark of creativity. Her sister said she used to talk to the dollhouses and shit. And that somehow she said that's tied a lot into her her creative thought process. So she wrote this screenplay. It was her sixth screenplay um, about these two women that are held captive at a remote house by like a serial killer. And Mm -hmm. it was called Sunflower and she was working, um, I think it was a minimum wage job or just like an average job. And someone had contacted her and told her that it had sold. And then like two months later it fell through. So it never got produced, but it was actually, um, it landed on the blacklist, which is this, they're like this website. And basically if you have a script that's like unproduced, um, they make a list at the end of the year of all the best unproduced screenplays and they just put them up for people to read and stuff like that so people can discover like different talents. So hers ended up on there. Sunflower actually ended up on there. Yeah, she's been doing a lot of writing and shit. She's actually a staff writer for, or was a staff writer for Heroes, Spartacus, and Sons of Anarchy. I don't know if you watched Spartacus or Sons of Anarchy. Sons of Anarchy was a wild ass show. <laughs> I always wanted to watch Sons of Anarchy, but for some reason, because aren't they like racist? um it's one of those shows that gives you racist vibes and there are racists involved but it's not yeah it's kind of racist <laughs> that's why I was like I was like this looks kind of good but this racist vibe is turning me off so I never yeah, watched there's, it there's some racism in it Sons of Anarchy <laughs> it's a wild show and Spartacus is another wild ass show so I feel like that's really on brand for someone who created like Lovecraft to be like writing on one of those shows with all the chaos that ensues mm-hmm. um so I thought that was really interesting because I was a pretty big fan of Sons of Anarchy 
So getting into Lovecraft, there's not actually not a lot of information out there on Misha Green. She's quite the uh, elusive famous person. And that might just be because, you know, Lovecraft is blowing up and shit. But, you know, there's not much out there on her, like, as a person. Mm-hmm. But she was inspired. She was listening to Lemonade, like Beyonce's Lemonade and I Am Not Your Negro. And they were the first time she had seen somebody incorporating. You know, she has those voiceovers throughout the series of prolific, like, Black people that are giving speeches or making statements. Mm-hmm. Um, she was inspired by Beyonce's Lemonade and I Am Not Your Negro for that. And episode seven, my favorite... <laughs> Hippolyta's episode was actually her first time directing ever, which I thought what? was really impressive. Oh, wow. I didn't about, know that. I know. Cause she, she directed an entire episode about the pl- like plurry verses and fucking bodied it. And when we're talking about like all the shit she incorporated into Lovecraft, she wanted to make this show as big as fucking possible. Like she mm-hmm. was intent on putting everything she could into the show. And as we talk about it, you guys are going to see like, she really did that. Like Goonies, Indiana Jones, um, mm-hmm. all the African ancestral references, the different references to like historic, historical shit going on. Pluriverses and horror and like shape-shifting. There's so much shit in this show that she, I think she, if that was her intent was to make a big ass show, I think she accomplished that. So shout out to Misha Green. Shout out to these ladies that did the Lovecraft uh, Country podcast on HBO. That is an amazing podcast. I highly suggest you listen to it if you um, love the show because it really breaks down the episodes even more. So on the season finale episode of the podcast, the ladies have Misha Green and um, Journey Bell Smollett on the show. And Misha was just talking about how heavily influenced she was by horror when she was a kid. And so she wanted to incorporate all of those elements of horror, but with Black people. And that was the main, you know, mission for Lovecraft. And Mm -hmm. she definitely accomplished that. Absolutely. And I think that speaks to like what we have been saying pretty much every fucking episode is that Black people are not a monolith. And not just stopping there, but it's so important to branch outside of what you consider to be like culturally normative. Like Mm -hmm. it's like, she's pulling from so much different shit and she didn't like Spartacus and Sons of Anarchy are not like black shows. Yeah. They're like, that's not something that black people are really watching. So she really branched out and she really dove into all types of different interests, different, you know, experiences. And I think that's where she was able to pull all this together in this show. So good job, man get out there and experience some shit you guys I would love to meet her one day like her mind Same. just seems so dynamic and yeah I would just I would just love to see her work and love to sit in on a writing room uh because even in the um podcast series the Lovecraft podcast series just hearing their experience mm-hmm. of uh being in the writer's room was really dope and it just uh, opened my mind to so much when it comes to character development and just making sure that the the vision of the story is like very well thought out and broken down before we even get into the writer's room. I think that's something that we should get into before breaking down Lovecraft is basically the book that this series was uh, inspired by and also the author that the book was inspired by. Oh yeah, the H.P. Lovecraft. (laughs) So H.P. Lovecraft, despite the name of the show, despite the name of the book by Mark Ruff, H.P. Lovecraft, look, man, he deserves no credit for this shit. (laughs) He deserves credit for the genre he created, which is this, Mm -hmm. you know, like this sci-fi horror genre. But other than that, I got nothing for him. He was apparently deeply racist and anti-Semitic, like Mm -hmm. not fuck with black people. He did not fuck with Jewish people. He actually wrote a poem. It's really fucked up. But if you're into like reading fucked up shit, it's called (laughs) On the Creation of N-Words. I don't know if you guys know this, but I don't use the N-word, which basically reimagines 
not even reimagines, but like paints black people as part beast, which is really fucked up. Mm-hmm. Um, and he wrote a lot about beasts mixing with humans. And not even like monkeys, like, you know, not no, even a stereotypical like, monkey that, you know, no, but like he full created blown beasts. Beast. The shows, like what is the Shoggoth or some shit? It's the yeah. big bubbly thing with the eyes on its back. Like he created beast and this is what he was comparing black people to. And that was the, like him having humans and beasts mixed in his stories was basically his perspective on interracial dating it's kind of this guy was fucked up i read his full wikipedia and his life in general was fucked up i have no remorse for this dude um he was born <laughs> we are not fucking with you <laughs> he was born into wealth but he his grandfather lost it and um his father went into a mental asylum at when he was young i think he was in i don't know elementary school or something like that his father died in a mental asylum when he grew up or older, I think he was in high school, his mother went to a mental asylum. Um, so he had a lot of mental issues in his family. People talk like through his wiki, they talk about how he also was very recluse and he he was just a, a, a interesting character in general. He had his own like bouts of mental depression. He he never really made any money. He, he lived a pretty poor life because he refused to, <laughs> no, honestly, like he laughing. refused, <laughs> he refused to like, you know, work in other fields of writing because he specifically wanted to write, you know, what he thought was English writing. And he uh, considered, I forgot what the word that they use, but uh, amateur writing mm-hmm. to him, he considered it to be the training for him to be a professional writer. So instead of him writing for whatever pop whatever back then was like a pop news magazine mm. or a newspaper, he refused to write for those because he didn't see them as um, good enough. And so, yeah, he lived a pretty poor life and he died in the same way. Alone and sad. I didn't see how he died. <laughs> I stopped reading before then, but I was no, just like- I'm not, I'm not making light of it, but I was, I was thinking as you were speaking, like how we big up people when we love them. I think it's this, I think we do the opposite when we don't necessarily like a person. Cause uh, we did not focus on anything he accomplished in life. Uh, yeah. I mean, he accomplished a few things, but it's but also just like, yeah, it, it's yeah. not notable to, to even talk about, but it's also to me, it's, I feel like he's a, a good example of what you put out into the world is what you get back. And yes. he put out a lot of hate and mind you, he was not, he was not popular at all. He didn't become popular. This like, he was obscure. Yeah, this this style of writing didn't become well known until after he died, and then mm-hmm. people started creating this sci-fi horror genre, this this whole world of Lovecraft because there's a whole world of mm-hmm. Lovecraft where people rewrite Lovecraft. I don't, yeah, I mean, his life wasn't that exciting or anything like that. I just wanted to read up on it, just yeah, no, just we're because giving, we're giving you guys that quality content. I was wondering while I was reading this shit if things ever changed for him. Like, did things ever get nah, good? man. He got married. That was probably the highlight of his life, but then that didn't even last because... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what? No, when I say this is the highlight of his life, it's because his wife thought he was so such a talented writer that she was supporting him. She worked and paid for him I mean, she to be a wrong. writer. But he then, was a good writer. Just no, no. Long she, time. Yeah, she's absolutely right. She saw, she saw the vision the potential. and the potential. <laughs> But uh, then she lost her job and, you know, Fuck. things went downhill. So on the opposite end of that, Mark Ruff is a completely different guy that wrote Lovecraft Country. I didn't have a lot of information on Mark as a person. I'm talking about him like I know him. You know, Mark, I don't have enough information on Mark as a person. <laughs> he um, seems like he, a cool guy. 
he does seem see see how we talk about him versus hp love <laughs> but mark basically explained why he created lovecraft country and he wanted to talk about bridging the paranormal horror of like that genre with the horror of racism and I think that's really interesting because that's exactly what he does, where real life becomes the horror story and fantasy just seems like some whimsical thing on the side. Like mm. I was more scared for them in situations in their everyday lives than I was when they were engaging in magical situations. Mm. And I think, I know. And I think that's what Mark was trying to accomplish with Lovecraft Country. And he was inspired by this book, which I actually think I read and I can't remember the, like the author, but it's about sundown towns. And as he was reading it, he said it was like so profound that like, you know, this is what black people had to use to get around the country at the mm -hmm. time. And he was like, like, basically like that's ridiculously terrifying. Yo, when I, sorry to interrupt, but when oh. um, Hippolyta went on her drive by herself, I was so terrified, terrified. for her. I was like, no, she's not supposed to be driving. Like it's sundown, like it's dark. Yes. Like, oh, I was so terrified. There were so many times where it was dark in that show. And I was afraid what happens in the first episode was gonna continue to happen, that it was ridiculous. Like that, the, it's a terrifying thing. And we'll talk about sundown towns in case you guys don't know. Um, and for Misha Green, like if you don't know, don't be ashamed because Misha Green actually said that the first time she learned about a sundown town was reading Lovecraft Country. Mm. One of the um, points of contention, I think people were having some random people, you know, people are mad about everything, was <laughs> that while this was like it was written by a white man, it was a white another white man writing a black story. Yeah, that might be the case. But I do think that while it was written by a black, I mean, a white man, the story is told by black people through black people. And I think that's the important thing to remember about Lovecraft Country versus, you know, like the book, like Lovecraft Country is told by Misha Green through, you know, Journey, through Tick, through the, through the cast, you know, so it's not necessarily like, oh, this white guy told these stories and cast all these random people, like, no, or even had anything to do with it. Like, this is Misha's creation. So I think it's important to remember that. Yeah. And my thing is like, of course I want to hear black stories told by black people, mm -hmm. but at the end of the day, I think when you understand, when you're an empathetic person and you understand humanity in general, you can tell a story of any race. Mm -hmm. um, but I think it is important to have those people from that demographic included, like to have their opinion, to have their, their notes, their edits, their perspective, whatever. But I think it, sometimes I think it's foolish when people are just like, a white person could never yeah. write a story. It's like, they could actually- They've been doing it for years, so. <laughs> yeah, they have been doing it and winning awards. I mean, I understand. Um, yeah, I don't want, yeah, let me stop there. I was like, I don't yeah. want to get into a tangent. <laughs> we were about to go in though. I appreciate the the dialogue we're having right now, by the way. It feels very natural, like we're just having a conversation, which is putting me less on edge. And I think also, I think I was nervous because Lovecraft is such a really good episode. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about how we were yes. a little nervous to- uh, record this episode for me I was nervous just because Lovecraft is such a very like I don't want to say it's dense but it has just so much information yes. in the series alone and I felt like I, I was uncertain if we could do it justice yeah I, I think I think when when we were thinking about the questions and you know re-watching the episodes and listening to the podcast especially if you listen to the podcast I, I doubt that we're going to cover anything new if you've already heard that podcast so you just mm -hmm. get on out of here now but the podcast does such a great do job dissecting every single episode 
I was a little nervous coming in too because it was like, eh, what what's left to be said? But I think it's okay us having like our own conversation about it too. Yeah, I think other people's perspectives are needed regardless of how many people have already talked about the shit. Like right. we can still talk about, about it as it. well from a different perspective. <laughs> but yeah, so let's get into what do we want to start with? Um, There's so much shit to cover. So since we're talking about a story being told by Black people for Black people. I would like to talk a little bit about the family dynamics. I think that's a good place to start. Like, I think the Black family becomes like this really big topic of discussion because we all have similar experiences, even though they're very different. We have like a serious like a similar experience in our childhoods, throughout our lives that mm-hmm. we can all like agree actually happened. So I think talking about Atticus, the main character, I think I want to start with talking about him and his dad versus like him and his uncle. Okay, let's get into it. I really think the the relationship between Atticus and his dad is interesting when you're talking about like black people, because I was uh, listening to the podcast and she brought up a really great point was that you're only able to like love somebody to the depth that you love yourself or something to that extent. And Mm -hmm. Montrose, his dad is only able to show Atticus that he loves, we're getting right into this, shall we? (laughs) Montrose is only able to show Atticus that he loves him through abuse because that's how he that's what he associated love with and I started thinking about the different things and the different ways that I associate you know caring and loving people with the way that I was brought up so I think that contrasts his relationship with his uncle where he has this really supportive compassionate person in his life who shares his interests and is just really encouraging and a positive person and I was I just wanted to talk about like the role of like supportive family in black families the men's relationships in the show show is very interesting yeah i think also i question how atticus views the love that he receives from his uncle because of the one conversation he had with his uncle when they were um when they just first started their trip to artem Mm -hmm. um about like you never protected me you always kept quiet and so i question if he really felt the love I feel like I feel mm. like there were there are instances because even with um, Atticus and his father Montrose, like you can tell that he feels the love in certain po- aspects of their relationship, mm-hmm. and I think that is what happens with a lot of families. Like we are all damaged goods, and so at times, you know, you might see the glimpse of light w- within someone, and you might feel the love, but we're also like some people are very wounded, and so that love doesn't stay there all the time. And so I feel like he, of course, saw more of that love from his uncle. But mm-hmm. I also like that, that just makes me question a little bit how he really perceived George's love. Um, but maybe I'm also just looking at too much into it because Atticus also said that he wished George was his father, which we find out. Yeah, we do find out <laughs> that that is the case. But I, I think you're onto something there. And I, I think I think there's space for two things to exist here where Atticus realizes that his uncle, maybe his uncle actually overcompensated for his silence by loving Atticus so hard and so well. You know that part when they were in Tulsa and um, the dad came out or whatever and they were arguing in the yard and the other father came out and was like, oh, you know, you do with your boys what you want. It was Mm -hmm. kind of, that was kind of the culture of the time where it was like, oh, that's family business. We don't get involved in that. And even though George was his uncle, that's not something where he's going to step in and tell his brother or another man how to raise his son. So I think he made up for that by trying to love Atticus in the way that Atticus deserved to be loved. No, that's a really good point because I feel like maybe George did stand back a little more because he knew that that could have been his son or was his son Mm -hmm. but he also knew the importance of Montrose being Tick's father and 
how it made him feel like a man, a so-called Damn, that's man. That's a good point. We are making some great points right now. <laughs> that's a great point. Because like, honestly, when I was going to ask you this question about what was like the most like powerful part of the series for you. And one of the most powerful parts of the series for me was when Montrose said, I needed you to be my son so I could be a man. And I was just mm, like, oh my that's gosh, some powerful like shit. that really hit me. Yeah, that's, that's a conversation to have in general, though, is like, you know, this this need of black men to feel like men they've had so much taken from them you know and mm -hmm. i don't know that we offer enough i mean i as a black woman be fed the fuck up but i don't know that as a black woman i offer enough grace in that you know in that arena because it's like damn you know you couldn't protect us even when you wanted to like even if you if you wanted to you weren't able to do it at a certain point and to have that taken and just regurgitated at you over and over over so many um fucking centuries and decades and decades and decades of jim crow and shit like mm -hmm. to have that thrown in your face constantly i get the importance of like why men need to feel like a man especially today and i get why montrose would need to feel like a man not just that We'll get into sexuality later, but just, you know, the fact that, you know, whether he could get his wife pregnant or whatever, um, just the fact that knowing that that wasn't his son and all that, like so much of his manhood had been taken from him basically. And he yeah. just needed to feel like a man. So that was, that's really, really important him saying that and it, admitting to that, you know? Yeah. And that's what I appreciated so much was the growth of all of these characters throughout the mm -hmm. series, specifically Montrose, because he's a hot ass mess. Uh, and so mess. <laughs> that man needs <laughs> therapy. So anytime he opened up about anything, I was like, yes, Montrose, yes. Get it out. Heal. 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 Even when he went on that damn adventure. Indiana Jones? Yes, Indiana Jones adventure. <laughs> but then afterwards, he killed old girl. I was like, damn, Montrose, Bruh. I thought we was getting somewhere. I thought we was going somewhere. <sighs> so Montrose's growth is interesting. And that part of the show is interesting, too, because there was this whole argument about the way indigenous identities were handled in the show. Oh, yes, I'll talk let's about that talk later. about this. Okay, 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 let's get into it. <laughs> so I do want to talk about that because you are Native American. Mm -hmm. She is actually Native American. <laughs> she is not claiming to be Cherokee or any of that that a lot of Black people think they are just because... Shout out to the Lumbees of North Carolina. We shared this country together. But anyways, yes. So talk to me about that. I identify as Native American, but I, I, I don't know that I get to be the spokesperson, but I did think that it was really interesting to introduce a native identity in that way. And I think the contention came from the act of violence against her. And Misha actually admitted that that was her only like failure in the show or that her, that was her biggest mistake was the way she handled the native identity in that. Not just the native identity as being two spirit, but just having a native person present in this film with zero representation. You know, having Montrose kill them in such a violent manner and so abruptly too, like we just yes. get this person. And I think they're actually speaking a native language. I don't remember what it is. Starts the A, I cannot remember it off the top of my head. But you know, you get just this taste of it and then it's like ripped out and ripped mm -hmm. out the show. It's never, it's never brought up again. Native people are never brought up again. It was, it was weird. Cause I, I honestly was like, even though we went on this like adventure in our, in these tunnels underground in the water and we find the treasure, with this native woman, but I was still confused of how it all connected still, even though, you know, she was a slave. Um, but yeah, I really wished we would have had more. Yeah, it was it was almost like, a, like the best way I can explain it is like the way the purge has this big idea, but confines it to this small, small house is kind of what happened with this native, with this native identity. And I say that to say like, 
that person could have been any identity. It didn't need to be mm-hmm. a native pe- person. So to have to use them in that way and to have them show up for that brief amount of time just to have some, I don't know, credibility to the storyline ends up feeling a little disingenuous, I guess. Yeah, to me, I felt like they brought the native aspect in to kind of bring together um, the ancestral ties. In the yeah, sense for sure. Of, in the sense of just, you know, how much are like the Indian heritage and the black heritage, the African heritage, how much we really do own this land. So yeah, so that's why I guess I was a little disappointed because I really wanted them to get into like the two spirit, which a lot of yeah. people don't even know and understand. There, there was just so much they could they could have unpacked with that, especially, especially with them being a two spirit um, native person. There was just so much to unpack there that it just felt like a missed opportunity in the end. Yeah, agreed. All right. So do we want to get into our ancestral ties and our black magic? Because you Absolutely. know I love magic. And we've been saying black people need more magic. <laughs> black people need more magic in their lives. And I was that I think that's one of my biggest, like that's why Lovecraft was so attractive to me, is because there was this big idea and it was using magic and it just took me out of my reality for a minute because there was just they created this whole world. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot in here that feels like magic that actually aligns more with my spirituality. So exactly, we can talk about it. exactly, <laughs> we can talk about it. When it comes to me, one of my favorite episodes was the haunted house episode where she called oh, so on good. the spirits to um, cast out that demon that owned that house, and it was just so impactful to me because it really. It really just connected to my spiritual journey and also Letty's journey in general of yeah. her like spiritual journey throughout the episode of her tapping more into her religion, but also her um, magic, which I think is something that has was taken from Black people. I don't think it has been taken from Black people. And it and it's been reimagined as something bad. Like exactly. it's something bad now to keep us away from it too. Exactly. And you know, that's our, Afri- our African ancestors came to this country with those those skills and those that magic um and so to see letty intertwine it both which is basically hoodoo um the magic with the christianity uh was something i really related to sorry i was gonna say let me not say it is hoodoo i'm not a hoodoo expert at all i'm just someone that is learning about uh hoodoo and ifa currently i am uh into Aoife and so just speaking to my ancestors that's why I connected so deeply to that episode and just the power of the spiritual world and like how they are still alive it like they are not yeah and I think I think um to speak more to your point of her intertwining the two it's interesting that it's Letty that's doing the magic and is calling on her ancestors and stuff like that because I think even though I mean most black people are Christians and I think there's a disconnect between between Christianity and, you know, other spiritualities outside of that and magic and stuff. So I think it was interesting to show Letty, who is a Christian, who does believe in God. She does quote the Bible throughout the series. Mm-hmm. And she always said in the book, she, you know, re- references that she's protected and all this other stuff. So I think it was really interesting that even as a Christian person, she had no problem calling on her ancestors. Mm-hmm. She had no problem in the end, you know, taking on the responsibility of magic. She had no problem with like, like protection spells and casting out spirits like somehow there was place for both of those things to exist and I thought that was the most interesting part of that I agree with that and especially after she saw that magic is existed and she went back to Christianity it wasn't like she went looking for something else to explain 
what this magic is like where does this lie within my religion she still went back to her christianity and prayed to god and you know did all her scriptures and got atticus baptized because she believed yeah she did you know she wanted him to be able to go to heaven you know because he was about to die so yeah it is a really 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 interesting aspect of it and i'm just like i'm i'm just so thankful that misha included it in the story because so thankful black people really are it is a it really is a, like a resurgence of us tapping into our spirituality it's like a whole culture and like tribe of people out there that are really tapping into like um african religions and how can they connect more to their intuition and their ancestors and their um just their magical powers in general like we had a whole fucking what was that with 1221 we had a whole day where everybody was like tapping to y'all oh yeah we was getting superpowers (laughs) (laughs) we all got superpowers on the (laughs) no i think i think you're absolutely right about you know ancestors because I mean, if we're going to be real, I come from a long line of women that do not fuck around. (laughs) They do not fuck around. (laughs) So neither do I. And I'm thankful for that. Um, I think she even expresses it. I cannot remember her name, but when she was in the, when they were in the burning house dream, um, his Mm -hmm. ancestors. Or Hannah. Yes, Hannah. When she was, you know, explaining to Letty how magic works, she even said like, you know, magic, when I first had it, that's what, that was the metaphor of the fire around her. Like she mm-hmm. felt like she was burning in it when she discovered it. And once she learned to tame it, she understood that magic isn't something that's evil and wants to hurt you. It was something, it was a gift and yes. it was capable even all the way through the series of protecting them and making them stronger and having and having them grow. So I think that was really important. Like if that, if it couldn't get more, it couldn't get any more in your face than that. <laughs> Like this shit is a gift and this is literally me taming that gift and controlling it. And speaking of control, Letty in the end binds or bounds Christina from using magic. And it's not yes. just Christina. I was she just takes thinking it from about this. all white people. And I was yes. like, damn, I don't even know if I would have thought to do that, but that was such a good next level step. I don't know step. if I would have either, but I'm so glad they did because that yes. is literally the difference of what Hannah was talking about. I feel like with yep. magic is not just something that you control. It is something that you use, I feel like for, for good and and for them, the good was to protect their family, to protect, yeah. you know, Black people, because white people were using magic, of course, to their benefit, but also to our detriment. And yeah. that was the, that's the main fucking issue. So Christina's whole goal in this show was to become immortal. Could you think of like a like a, a smaller ambition than that like as a black person I don't even know that my mind would think that's small like to just worry about becoming immortal for what I'll be reborn I get to do it all over again she says <laughs> so she can experience what? life's all of life's moments for that what did she say so she could experience first for the rest of her life girl if I once I got you to 500 years old I'm gonna be like there's nothing new there's right? nothing I'm a dinosaur unless I can learn to like breathe fire or some shit. I don't, I don't know if there's anything new to do. I guess the world's new when you have magic, but that was just such a small ambition. And I was thinking about, you know, how having experienced life as a black person changes the way I would use a gift like that versus mm-hmm. how I can imagine white people even today would try to use a gift like that. I don't think Letty was wrong. <laughs> I don't think she was at wrong all. at all. <laughs> I think she made the right decision if we're going to be real. And I think there's been so much effort to take magic away from us and to separate us from magic and calling it evil and all this other stuff, this smear campaign on magic, that it's like, eh, you guys, you guys want some. Like, you know how people act when they when they can't have, like, they, like they're haters. 
Like we can't have it. We can't control it, but we're going to make sure y'all don't want it either because we can't have it. So yeah, you guys be on the lookout for haters because they are out there and they will try to steal your magic. Now we know this is a long conversation. We know this is a lot to take in. So we did split this episode into two parts. If you are still with us, head on over to part two. We're going to be continuing the conversation and diving a little bit deeper into Lovecraft. If you're not, that's okay too. We appreciate you listening. Thanks you guys. We love you.